good morning, church. A couple of things for you. You'll want to turn to two places in your Bible. One will be Acts chapter 19, and the other will be Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be in Ephesians and in Acts today uh, as we cover Paul's time in Ephesus this morning. Uh, as we do so, I want to ask you a question. We're, we're thinking a lot about our testimony today, and as we look in the chapter of Acts, verse 19, 21, to the end of the chapter, we really see something special, something un- unique that, that is uh, powerful to me. In, in this whole passage we'll read today, um, I, I can say this well. I've looked over many times to make sure I wouldn't flub it. No believer is quoted. The pastor, we're going to read, there's not one single quotation here from, from a believer. There's some believers talked about and some, you know, some conversation, with, but not a single one was going on. And as we talk about our testimony, I, I want this to kind of resonate in you because this is, this is something that I believe is biblically sound that we can stand on all day long. It's that God uses the people he changes as his avenue to change other people. Now, good people can make other people feel good, amen? Good people can make other people feel loved, amen? Good people can make good people feel welcomed, good people can make good people feel at home, and good people can can enjoy life together. But it's changed people who God uses to change people. And and sometimes we start to think, "I, I wish there were more changed people. I wish I was a more of a changed person. Sometimes when I think about the people who God uses, looking at the, the great awakenings uh, through history this week and how God uses that in the second great awakening. The first great awakening was about the church waking up to a half-hearted commitment. That was the first great awakening was the church realizing they weren't changed, they were just good. The second great awakening was about the community responding to the gospel and and the church and the gospel changing the community in such a way to where the light of Christ shines so much things shut down like there was no there were no um, patrons for businesses to sin so sin so they shut down for lack of business I think that's pretty amazing I think about individuals like George Mueller Uh, George Mueller was just he was just a preacher he would probably tell you that who had a heart for orphans over 10,000 orphans were provided for through the gospel of Christ through George Mueller's life I think Lord I, I want to be a changed lives that change lives sometimes sometimes we read these stories that are meant to inspire and they they instead of inspiring us they can just make us wish that we were like that or or make us think well of someone else but I want to tell you a story about a changed life that changed my life. My youth minister's name was Tommy. We called him youth minister. That was between youth director and student pastor. The terminology of youth guys is changing, right? So my youth minister was Tommy Hopper. And, and Tommy was my, was my youth minister from the day I walked into our church in fifth grade until after I, I exited uh, in that. He, he allowed me to come alongside of him to serve as an intern at times. But, but let me tell you what Tommy did. I got to watch Tommy's life and how much he loved Jesus. And he did it through silly youth minister videos. I mean, he made us stick Cheerios in our noses and see how far we could shoot them. Some of these things, nothing to do with Jesus. 
but he used any and every tool available to let us get close to him to see what a changed life of Jesus Christ looked like and then inspired us and challenged us to experience God outside of our own little box. The God who is explained in scripture versus the God that we have pasted together in our paper mache box from the pages of scripture. Tommy, not even knowing that, he asked a guy named Gary to be a youth worker. Now, I'll be honest, I've asked my family, they don't know who Mr. Gary is. My, my wife's family, we have a guess at who Mr. Gary was, but Mr. Gary didn't think a whole lot about himself uh, in this way. He was a good godly man from what I remember in eighth grade. I think this may have been his only year to work in youth ministry. I may have broken but I'll tell you what Mr. Gary did. He loved Jesus, not in the fun, flamboyant way that Tommy did, but like a banker and a businessman. Jesus was still Jesus to him. It just looked different. I remember one day, regardless of how it happened, he asked me and three other guys from our Sunday school group if we wanted to go, are y'all ready for this? to the Rice U of H football game. Y'all listen, in eighth grade, if you'd have seen my grades, I wasn't thinking about college yet. I was just like a real football game. And he took us to the 59 Diner. Anybody remember the 59 Diner in Houston? Yeah, went to the 59 Diner. Y'all, we only went out to eat when we had money, which is like once every 14 months. You know what I mean? Like, that's a little exaggerative. Mom watches sometimes. But, but you follow me on this. It, we didn't go out to eat a ton. But I, 59 Diner, and then going to the football game, and just seeing Mr. Gary, who was probably a 45-year-old man, old guy. invite us in close our life getting close to him seeing him differently that night it changed me and so here's Tommy my silly youth minister that loves Jesus and, and wanted to show it and Mr. Gary being brought in by a youth minister, who knows? I know how youth ministers, you know, ask for help. They're like, guys, we're dying. We're three short today. Can you come in? Tommy's life impacted Gary's life, and Gary's life was changed. And I'm telling you, it's the next summer that the Lord lets me know he's calling me to ministry. Changed lives change lives. So, so I want to ask you, is this your testimony? Because if you know Jesus Christ, it is, but sometimes it looks a little funny, it looks a little different. Hey, church, I want to challenge you with a thought today. I, I really believe as we get in a pattern of following Christ, that sometimes we can think the value systems that we have built in our regular walk of life, in our culture, have made us understand most Christian life is finding joy in defeat. Have you ever felt like that? Like that, that seems to be the message of the church. And don't get me wrong, sorrow is all throughout scripture. Don't get me wrong. Jesus was, was this man of sorrows, but he didn't have a, have a sorry life. 
Paul had a rough road, but that didn't mean he had a bad life. I think our, our value systems have either gone one of two ways. If you're too happy, because joyful is the Bible word, if you're too happy, then your faith is probably shallow and not authentic. If you really want to love Jesus, be miserable and love people through it. Right? Like that's, they're spiritually stout. Why? Because they hate life and they still make me feel good. Right? Have you been there? I think our Christian value system, it focuses on putting gas in gas cans and storing them in the garage while a beautiful car sits in the driveway untouched and undriven. See, the beautiful car is your testimony. It's your life change. It's, it's what the neighborhood sees when they pass by and thinks, wow, the first time they see a believer just in his or her beauty, shined and waxed in the glory of Jesus Christ, transformed, it's amazing. And they keep seeing the believer carry gas cans into the, the garage and they think, man, I can't wait to see how that, that runs. I can't wait to see it fly down the road. This is amazing. But they walk by that car enough times, the car stops being amazing because no one ever puts gas in the car and cranks the engine and drives off. And I think our value system can be in such a way that we are awaiting the day we can put gas in the car as believers. And I would challenge you to say the day you came to know Jesus Christ is the day that every ounce of knowledge that you embrace in the gospel of Jesus Christ is the day it starts funneling into that car so that you can, you know, some of you, your dream car is electric. This is, does not work for you. But whether it's a minivan, a truck, or a sports car, whatever God has made you to do, I want to encourage you and challenge you now to know that God has given you more if you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if he has transformed your life, than just waiting for the day when and that's why I love Acts chapter 19. I'm gonna read the whole story for you. It's a lot. We'll look at verse 21. We'll go all the way down to verse 41 today. So let's look in your Bible together and we'll, we'll follow through that. The Bible says this. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia to Achaia and go to Jerusalem. And after I have been there, I must go to see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Verse 23, about that time, there was no little disturbance concerning the way, and that's the, what the people called Christianity. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying the gods made with hands, they're not gods. And there is no danger, excuse me, there is a danger not only to this trade of ours that may come to a disrepute, but also to the temple of the great goddess of Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, magnificence she whom all Asia and the world worship. 
When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together in the theater and dragged with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. When Paul wished to go into among the crowd, the disciples wouldn't let him. And even some of the Asiarchs were friends of his, sent to him, and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing and others another, and the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they came together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make defense of the crowd, but when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours, they cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd down, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know in the city of Ephesians, excuse me, the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious or blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen who have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls, and let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we have give to justify this commotion. When he said these things, they dismissed into the assembly. The picture here is, is incredible. It, 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 uh, Ephesus was the heart of Roman deity worship. And all kinds of gods were lifted up there, Artemis being the, the, the largest one. And, and in this, this religion of the city, this false religion, it, it developed this, this massive amount of trade. It, it's almost like we, we would liken it, the best I've got would be the God of consumerism in America. That's the closest thing I can give you. That every commercial on TV doesn't really want better for you. Do y'all know that? It, everything doesn't make life better. But every marketing commercial points us towards this God of something else can make my life better i would say that's the closest thing i could have to tell you about this point because what is happening in this city is amazing first of all changed lives have been used by the glory of god to do something to cause enragement and confusion this is what the gospel does. If you remember last week, we talked about it. People are, are being saved. What we're seeing is the seven sons of Sceva came in. Do you remember what happened? Right? They were humiliated because they were trying to misuse the name of God. When that didn't work and people saw the name of God is greater than anything else, they start throwing out their junk. They start throwing out their idols. It, it's changing. Lives are changing. And when lives change, it disrupts business. And when you mess with someone's pocket, what happens? It's a bad day. We start to see that these men, these women whose lives are being changed are because of the gospel, because of changed lives, enraged and confused. Church, I need you to know something. 
The gospel disrupts life. Not because of the way that we act underneath the banner of the gospel, but because God is a disruptor of the things of this world. And if you look in your Bible at verse 30, there's something powerful I want you to see. Because I think we need to know what's happening in Ephesus to understand what happens in our life. The Bible says it this way in verse 30. When Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him go. Church, you and I don't need to be disruptors of society. I need you to hear me say that. God does not need my help. Well, this is going to be hard. Will you say that with me on three? One, two, three. God does not need my help. Ooh, that hurt somebody a little bit. Like indigestion. Yeah, God needs my obedience. He needs me to follow him, but he does not need my help. And Paul, through other disciples, are told, God doesn't need you to rush in and try to calm this confusion or try to settle the crowd. Have you noticed, when Paul tries to settle the crowd, rocks get thrown at him. Have you noticed this? Let the gospel disrupt. God doesn't need our help in being unlikable. He doesn't need our help in disrupting things. We just need to be changed lives, showing others who changed our life. Because in the midst of that life, we're going to see people enraged we're gonna see people confused they may not even know why they're so angry you know why that is because you cannot pinpoint the god of all creation and his sovereignty have you ever tried to reason with someone unreasonable anyone ever had a three-year-old right you cannot reason with some you know who gets upset when you try to reason with someone who's unreasonable everybody what paul says what paul tries to do here god says i'm not going to let you do i've got a bigger plan and that bigger plan shows up and this is what's amazing to me in your bible verse 35 let's just follow here because i want you to see this as we build it up and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, is there one, excuse me, who is there who does not know the city of Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Now pause just a second. The town clerk is not a convert. There's no point to that in scripture. There's nothing, you would have to read like 10 lines into scripture to make it say that. Like we would have to go there. So instead of you and I adding to God's word, let's just take it like it is. Because he says, listen, I'm one of you. I'm the town clerk, and I'm confessing as the town clerk that we all know that there's no God like our God. He is professing a false faith. Verse 36. Seeing then that these things can't be denied... You should be quiet and do nothing rash. Now, now check it out. Verse 37. For you have brought these men here who neither are sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. Now, I want you to, to lean into that for just a moment. I want you to, to see what's happened. 
God is allowing these ungodly people to be rebuked from within. He, he's allowing someone who has not been changed to be his vessel to rebuke those who have not been changed. He doesn't deny the uproar. He doesn't deny the, the confusion. He doesn't deny any of those things. But what he says is, guys, we're in the wrong. Who could have done that? Paul could not have made these people come to it. We see the Jews come into this role. The Jews stand up. Alexander, in your scripture, the Jews are like, someone needs to stand up and say, Paul and these guys, guys, they're not with us. Like, plausible deniability. They're Jews and we're Jews, but we're not the same Jews. Like they're a little off their rockers. We're totally fine with you worshiping your false God and that kind of thing. And what happens? He is shouted down for two hours. And yet God, being rich in grace, rich in mercy, mighty in power, says, Paul, sit this one out. Jews, thanks for coming out. I am sovereign and I am at work. And from within, these people are rebuked. The rebuke is really key. He says, boys and girls, their lives are obviously changed, but they have not given you stones to throw. It says in the Bible, Verse 37, for you have brought these men who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers against our goddess. See, here's when the, the clue is given. Paul and his companions, when they were traveling Asia, when they were in Ephesus, they were focused on the mission. They were not focused on the field. See, they were focused on who Christ was and what he had done for their life and the truth of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. They weren't focused on the field. They obviously knew about the culture. They obviously had some information that they used for that purpose, but they weren't captivated by the enemy. How do we know that? How do we know they weren't captivated by the enemy? Because the town clerk says, they are not sacrilegious. Sacrilegious means temple robbers. For Paul and them to have been sacrilegious, it would have been as their testimony was trying to steal the riches given to this false god and take it for themselves. In other words, they're just trying to relocate materials, relocate stuff, relocate adoration and praise. I, I think we need to be mindful, church, that our witness and our testimony is not about trying to convince somebody, trying to be someone who says, I, I need you to take this and take over there. Trust me, give it a shot. It, it's not one of these infomercials for Jesus. That's, that's not what we do. It's, it's sacrilegious when we tear down God and try to sell him in such a way. But instead, what we find is Paul and them are so focused on who God is I'm not trying to rob your temple because my God's temple is so rich he lavishes his love on me do you see the difference church we have a world that talks about how we are to to collect 
and how God, we satisfy him by giving him these things, by doing these things, by going through these markers. And Paul is saying, listen, you put your garbage wherever you want to. My God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. We're not here to get into a, a trophy contest with you. His witness wasn't sacrilegious. They weren't trying to be temple robbers and it was obvious. Was the temple being emptied? Yes, that's what caused the commotion. The business was drying up. So the temples were being empty. This false God, this false religion was losing because the power of God was on display. They weren't blasphemous. The word, the word blasphemy basically means speaking profanely against. It's an attack on someone else's character or belief. We, if we can make people feel small or make other people's gods look small, if we can break you down enough, we can re rebuild you in our image. That, that's basically that understanding of it. I wanna tear you down. I wanna take away your outs so that I can make you into the right picture. Paul and them haven't done that. This town clerk says they didn't come in to speak profanely against. What does that mean? But we're gonna see from Paul's writings, his focus was on God. And he would, he would reason and say, the gods built with your hands, they're just idols. You built them, like this is silly, but my God is not. But he's he not derogatory. He's not trying to tear them down that way because he's focused on the mission He's not focused on the field. Church, John chapter one says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning, this is Jesus. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life in the, excuse me, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, church, our testimony is the witness to the truth of God's word. Has the light of God overcome the darkness in my life? Have I seen the power of God? I'm not asking you if you're perfect. You're in the process of being made perfect. You're already set apart if you walk in Christ. But, but if you believe that the darkness cannot overcome the light, then you and I should be focused on the mission, not the field, because what we bring is the light that enlightened our darkness. Every person that you see, every place that you go, it's the changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that disperses the crowd, that disrupts society. It's not how I carry it because I'm not the light of the world. It's, it's Christ. And Paul knew this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul says, we are ambassadors. All we do is reflect the light. All we do is, is let this play out in our life. Church, is Christ so changing you 
that you can just point people to the Jesus you know and that you're running after. Listen, every day you're gas. Every day your car is driven around and needs gas. Your life every day needs to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to sink into his word. You need to be built up by his people. You need to serve his cause because you want fuel to go out again and show off the light of Christ that changes your life and that can change everybody else around you. We don't have to be upset, angry, frustrated. We can just be so captivated by transformation, by the power of God, that the power of God is all that we focus on. It, it doesn't mean neglecting sin. In fact, it would mean something very different. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he talks about the testimony to this group of people who experienced this moment. Ephesians chapter three says it like this. Excuse me, Ephesians chapter two says it like this for by grace you have been saved through faith it's not of yourselves it's the gift of God not as a result of the work so that no man may boast for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for us ahead of time that we should walk in him he says first of all follow me Paul says, do you want to know how I followed him? Now, chapter three, verse eight. To me, though I am the least of the saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ to bring light for everyone what was the plan of the mystery hidden for all ages in God who created all things. Paul said, church, God prepared a work for us to do and it was to bring light to everyone we encounter so that the God who was willing to allow me to experience such amazing transformation, to give me such amazing hope, could offer that same hope to the testimony of my life. And we're not called to do it alone. Ephesians chapter four, Paul says this to the same group of people, verse 15. So church, speak the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head of the body, from whom the whole body joined together by every joint which is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. Here's where our testimony comes into play. When Paul was traveling, he invited others to come with him. He just believed God has so radically changed my life. If he's radically changed your life, then you should just want to let that radical transformation through the light of God that overcomes sin be a testimony to everyone else around you. And church, in our home with your children, if, if you want to raise children that love Jesus Christ, they get the inside track on your truth test every day of every moment. Are you changed by God? If that transformation is the light that illuminates, I'm telling you, your children will see the power of God on display day in and day out. If there's any parenting guide advice that I could ever give, it would just be that. Let the gospel that transforms you be obvious everywhere you go, starting at home. If that hasn't always been the case, let it start now. 
Because Paul says the gospel, the power of God, here's how it transforms us. It it allows us to put off the old self and put on something new. Verse 21, Ephesians chapter 4. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth that is in Jesus. Put off your old self. You can't do that unless you're free. That belongs to a former manner of life. It's corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you not believe that the same light, the same Savior, the same light of God that was created, that, that, is, that, was, that called you to him, if you allow people to see him in you, do you not believe it will transform the lives around you? Church, Paul goes through a list in verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4. He says, therefore, having put away your falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, but don't sin. Let this, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth but only such that is good for the building up. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you see Paul in this list it's not exhaustive says what does a changed life look like in Jesus Christ it's a life that puts off falsehood and speaks the truth it's a life that puts off sin when it gets angry And, and instead when you get angry you seek restoration A changed life is not a taker, it's a giver. A changed life is not focused on tearing down to win a battle, but on building up so God is glorified. A changed life doesn't hold on to bitterness, but embraces kindness at every turn. A changed life is not hard-hearted, but tender-hearted. A changed life is not about a frenzied force. It looks like forgiveness. You know, if every believer in our church and churches around the world would realize that in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. What if you realize that your testimony in Jesus Christ was that you were made new as a light bearer Paul was absolutely special. George Mueller impacted eternity for thousands. But you, God has given you and I the opportunity to be light bearers. What if this week 
you stopped focusing on the field and you allowed your heart to focus on the mission and you just put on truth. When you got angry, you sought restoration even if someone else didn't. That you were giving when everyone else was taking. That you were focused on building up when others were angry and tearing down. That when people were bitter, you were kind and others were hard, you were tender. Here's what I believe. I believe it would cause a disruption and confusion in our city that God would not want us to settle down. So that's my challenge to you today. Jesus, if he is your testimony, will you let the mission be yours? And you've may have kicked dirt on your light your garage may be full of gas that's gone bad you may have been walking with Christ for so long focused on the field that it feels wrong it feels too tough to focus on the mission let me tell you today the truth of the gospel is our God is greater than your greatest disappointments maybe today you have never known the changing power of Jesus Christ I want to let you know today that in him darkness is overcome all of it even the pockets that have shown up inside of church buildings across the world so in this moment what will be your testimony let's pray Lord Jesus, by the way, thank you for a passage of scripture where no disciple speaks, but your spirit moves mightily. Lord, we confess we want to see our community disrupted by the changing power of the gospel, by your story. So Lord, instead of letting us be culturally formed, to be okay with surviving as a believer. Let us be biblically shaped to know that your light cannot be overcome. So Lord, let us repent in this moment of the dirt we've kicked on the light, the things we've put around it, the barriers, the, the, the paper mache made of scripture. Let us remove it all let us find ourselves submissive and believing the truth of your word and your promise. And let our light shine before men so they will see our good work. You, and bring you glory. Father, if there's a man or woman in this room that doesn't know that kind of light, that's not the gospel, that's not the God they've ever heard of. Today, Lord, you've brought them here to hear the truth, not a falsehood. A God who gives, not who takes. Lord, let us not be people who are temple robbers or who think you are so small that others need to be cut down, but instead, let your light shine. In Jesus' name, amen.